Uh, wonderful. Well, it is. Uh, it's always great to be here at Oikos. It's not my debut. I've been. I think I was here about uh, 12 months ago. But yeah, wonderful to be here. We might not be the biggest church on the south side, but I think we do have one of the best bass players uh, in town. And so uh, that's something. The whole worship team did fantastic. But uh, being a bass player myself, I think it's wonderful to hear some strings on the bass guitar being used in worship, which are usually are not uh, frequented much by the thumbs or the fingers in a worship set. And so I think my uh, greatest claim to fame, more and more as I live and dwell uh, here in Perth, is I actually studied with uh, Pastor Vindo. Uh, We were from uh, over there in the Promised Land, or uh, Queensland, as some people refer to it. And uh, Vindo, he was sort of the class clown. He's probably turned a new leaf now, I imagine, but he was... Hard to believe he was sort of the class clown or the, uh, the funny guy uh, at Bible college. And so sometimes the funny guy doesn't always go on to be a good pastor. Uh, but I think he's become a great pastor. And so uh, while he's in Malaysia at the moment with, uh, with Demi and with Ariel, uh, can I uh, encourage you, church, Oikos, to be praying uh, for Pastor Dexter, not just this week, but uh, you know, the Bible encourages us to pray for our leaders. And so can I encourage you to keep, maybe you put in a little phone reminder there. I, I can't encourage you enough. You do really have a wonderful pastor. I can't commend him enough. So um, keep those guys in prayer. I think he's over there eating probably durian as we speak, trying to uh, win Demi's affection each year. He does that. He makes the pilgrimage over. Uh, I see my task tonight, guys, just to uh, encourage you. In your service for Christ, each of you uh, have something to give to God and to serve him in his kingdom, uh, providing that you can understand what is uh, the heart of the the matter. And so as we read, I'm going to use uh, a chap in the Old Testament called David uh, to do just that. And so uh, thanks to our Bible reader, but as we looked at that little story in uh, 1 Samuel, we see David uh, sort of making his rookie appearance there. And so when God says to Samuel back in those first couple of verses, verse 1, he says, I have rejected him, Saul, as king. Fill your horn with oil. Be on your way. I am sending you to Bethlehem to anoint one of his sons as king. We've got to realize that is actually a highly treasonable act. And you might think, what on earth do you mean by treason? Because we don't use that word as much anymore. Well, treason is really when you're plotting to kill or to take out uh, the monarchy or royalty. And that's, uh, even in many countries today, that's a sin or a crime punishable by death. So it's one thing to have it out for the postman. But if you have something against you know, the Prince of Denmark or the Queen of England, there's a whole extra threat or um, matter of litigation to deal with there. So this was a highly treasonable act. You know, there already is a king in Israel. His name is Saul. But God is asking Samuel, the prophet, to go and anoint someone else to be king. And so, you know, Samuel there, for all his bravado and his steel and his bravery, he's sort of thinking, he, he's a bit reluctant about that. And he's pondering the question, how can I go about that task without sort of having my head on the cho- chopping block? 
or whatever. And so he says in verse 2, how can I go? If Saul hears about this, he will kill me. And the Lord says, take a heifer. That's uh, a cow that hasn't given birth yet, if you can't remember back to agricultural studies. Say that you've come to do a sacrifice. And you think, my goodness, that's, uh, that's a bit of a cover story, isn't it? That'll be a good cover story. And of course, there is some truth in that, the going to, to make a sacrifice. But nonetheless, it's a good uh, cover story. It's kind of a little bit like a half-truth. I don't know when you're in school, if you ever told mum and dad you were going over to Trevor's place to do some homework or do an assignment. Uh, you knew full well you'd be up all night just playing Xbox and FIFA. Uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a cover story. Maybe that story is a little bit close to home for some of us. But that's what we've pretty much got here. We've got a bit of a half-truth or a lie. And so uh, that's probably for another time to discuss that question. You know, does God sometimes encourage or allow us to tell half-truths? Uh, Pastor Vindo, he'll clear that one up when he gets back. I'll leave him to tackle that sort of theological conundrum. But it is there in the text. So I did want to, uh, to be faithful to the text and at least to mention it. Uh, but instead, I want to move on. And it gets to the heart of uh, what I wanted to say. And so reading on there, and if you do have Bibles, uh, yeah, I encourage you to get them out and kind of read along or jump around with me. And so the fourth verse, Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel said, I've come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come and sacrifice with me. I said, I won't read all the next verses, but we have that story of sort of uh, Jesse, uh, the, you know, the, the, the father, the father, uh, the, the landholder. Uh, he has these seven sons, and so he brings them in, and really only one of them gets a rose. Only one of them is going to be anointed as the next king. And as you read these names, how you pronounce some of those Hebrew syllables, uh, some people, I don't think it matters too much. Nobody knows. Some people get very particular about it if you maybe emphasize one of the syllables wrong or something. But I don't, I don't think it matters a tin of beans, how you pronounce them, as long as it's in sort of the ballpark. If you think the first one is refrigerator or something, we'll probably know you're getting a little bit off path. And so the first son that comes in, and he is the eldest. I pronounce him Eliab. And when Samuel sees him, when Samuel sees him, he says, "Wow, why would you would you have a look at him?" And we're we're sort of told in a subtle way what he was like because apparently he was he was a, a good looking chap. Apparently, he's sort of a, a big fella, um, and we're, we're a striking sort of guy. And we look at him. And Samuel uh, is really impressed. He says, you know, there's a farmer's son, if ever I saw one. You know, one and a half axe handles length across the shoulders. There's not too many of us left now, I can uh, tell you that. And he looks so fine, he'll make, he'll make a great king. The text says, when Samuel saw him, he says, he says, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But what does God say? 
what is God's response? God says, no. No. Verse 7, he says, says, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so that whole issue of one's heart, that's really the heart of the matter tonight. And that concept and some of the verses around that scripture, uh, that's really what I want to dig down on and double down on this evening. That's what I want to say to you guys tonight uh, as servants of God. Have you guys got a heart for God? That's what I want to say. Whatever age you are, Whatever your circumstance in life, whether you got into UWA or not, whether you're living in the doghouse or the penthouse or the outhouse, whether you have a job or a fancy title, uh, none of that really matters. Uh, What matters is that you have a heart for him. So the whole point of my little uh, Bible study tonight is to double down that concept. uh, What God values, what he truly values above anything else is a heart. Uh, From now on then, I want you to jump forward a little bit uh, to verses 13 and 14. And if you look at verse 13 and 14, you can see that two men are mentioned there. You've got two men. You have a mention, a reference in verse 14 to David, and then slap bang against it, you have a reference to this gentleman known as Saul. Uh, But the thing I, I want to you guys to have a look at tonight is there's actually a vast chasm of difference between the two. What is, what is that difference? Because in many ways, those two men have so much in common. In many ways, if we read the whole Bible and some of the surrounding passages, we see that not only was David's older brother quite a good-looking fellow, but David himself uh, was also pretty fair to look upon. And some of the women of that day would write songs about him. Uh, He wrote most of the Psalms, David, so he's he's a guitarist. And you don't have many sort of guitarists who are bachelors. Usually they attract women. Uh, You've got, uh, he ended up marrying uh, Michal, which is Saul's daughter. What about Saul himself? How's your Bible memory? If it's like mine, maybe it's a bit vague as well, but we can remember that Saul, he was described as someone who was really uh, head and shoulders uh, taller than most other people of his era. He was sort of the, the captain of the Benjamite basketball team, so to speak. And so we understand from his appearance, he wasn't a bad-looking chap either. Usually uh, tall people do pretty well in life. What about in terms of his mil- their military strength? Were, they kinda, were there some differences there as well? Well, not really. You, you remember back a few chapters earlier in 1 Samuel 11, you have a story of this, uh, the Jabesh Gileadites. And the Jabesh Gileadites at the time, they were under attack from a group known as the Ammonites. And so what Saul did for all his bravery, Saul came in and he rescued the people of Jabesh Gilead. So, so much so that when uh, Saul passes away at the end of the book, when he comes to the end of his life, the people from Jabesh Gilead, they wanted to honor him and they uh, gave him a proper burial. You see, Saul was a, he was a really good soldier. He was a really good military tactician. 
He was a brave man. He was a fine-looking man. David, much the same. And so what's, what's then the difference? Well, it's the heart. It's the heart. And there's an emphasis on this whole heart business going back uh, a few chapters earlier as well. Because when Saul was chosen to be king, Israel's first king, uh, the Bible says that God gave him a different heart and put in him uh, a different spirit. And it says Saul was accompanied by a whole bunch of other men who had hearts that God had touched. And so as a king, Saul shot right out of the blocks and he had a great start in life uh, with this heart for God. Here in chapter 16, we read that David had a heart for God. <laughs> so what's the difference? Well, the difference between here and Saul's anointing only a few chapters back what do we read? We read that Saul had sinned against God. He had done the wrong thing. And God said, I have rejected you from being king. Furthermore, I'm going to find someone who actually has a heart for me. And so by implication, we can learn from that, that Saul, he'd actually lost. Somewhere in the process, he had lost his heart for God. Ah. Oh. So friends, uh, tonight, if I could just be maybe a little bit somber for, for a moment, or maybe even perhaps a little bit uh, negative, I just want to ask you, yeah, perhaps there are some here tonight, Oikos Church, perhaps there are some of you tonight who are losing your heart for God. Maybe some of you are sort of drifting away from him. I've met so many people over the years, and I know it in my own soul, people who used to be out and out for Jesus, and Jesus was front and center. And all they would do was kind of talk to him and talk about him and point people to him. But now as you speak to them, it's like, oh, I'm not as, not as keen as I used to be, or I'm not, <laughs> not into that sort of thing anymore. Oh, I know it's a kind of a, it's a negative thing. It's a bit somber. But the writer of the Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews talks about that so often. Be careful, beware that you don't drift uh, away from God. When I was growing up uh, in Queensland, I was a new Christian there at the University of Queensland. And uh, I was uh, mentored or discipled or whatever, you know, whatever the word is by uh, a gentleman called Neil. And so Neil was probably one of the godliest guys on campus. I was just a new Christian. Neil was, uh, you know, a Christian leader. When he spoke, he had authority. People would listen to him and trust him. He ended up uh, marrying sort of the best looking, the, the godliest girl on the other major campus in Brisbane, uh, where I grew up. Uh, but these days, Neil, he, he's no longer a believer at all. Just like Saul, he shot right out of the blocks with a heart for God. But somewhere, Somewhere his heart uh, went askew. Because if, if God puts a, a premium on this whole thing about having a heart for him, that's the, that's the thing you should be jealous for. That's the thing you should chase after. That's the thing you should even look for in other key friendships or life partnerships, is that heart for God. And it's not something you can be born with. It's not necessarily something that's in your bones or your DNA, but it's something you can grow, something you can cultivate. Something you can choose. 
something you can give attention to. And so the thing that's on my heart tonight is that when we get to the end of our lives or when Jesus comes back, we'll still be praising him with that same uh, fervor and energy with which we were singing songs tonight at comparatively a young age that we would still, in our more senior years, be praising him. A heart for God, a soft, repentant, teachable heart. I want to be in it right to the end because what did Jesus say? Jesus says, not how you start, but it's how you finish that makes all the difference. That's what I want to say to you tonight. On the basis of David and your own experience and the like, be very careful about this idea of nurturing your heart for God. Be careful about that whole business of losing your heart for God. To go on and, and nourish it. Oh, it's, not, it's not enough, is it, to just vacuum the house once. I don't know if there's any Asian mothers here who could give me an amen. It's not enough to just vacuum the house once. You've got to keep doing it. Uh, it's not enough to just mow the lawn once in summer. You've got to keep mowing it. It's not enough that you had a good meal or a meal last Tuesday. You, you need to keep eating. It's not enough that three, six, 12 months ago you had a heart for God. You've got to keep growing and nourishing it. Uh, there was a story of a gentleman uh, went to Africa on a, a missionary tour or trip, and uh, the African church leader invited him up onto you know the platform like this big sort of outdoor rally, and the uh, the African Christian invited him to share a testimony, and so the gentleman got up and uh, shared you know, quite a well-spoken story of uh, God saving him uh, 20, 20 years ago. And so he sort of toddled off the stage, kind of pleased with himself. But the, the African Christian pulled him up and said, what, what on earth was that? We didn't ask you to share about something God did 20 years ago. We wanted something recent. We wanted to hear what God was doing in your life today, yesterday. Something fresh, up to date. That's the way it is in life. Not enough that you uh, married someone 12 months ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. You've got to bring some freshness and vitality in. You've got to renew those vows each day. You've got to keep pursuing your wife, loving your husband. That's uh, the way it is with God. So Jesus laid out, Jesus laid out a principle in the New Testament, uh, which can be a little puzzling as you first hear it. Jesus said, whoever has... Whoever has will be given more. And whoever has not, even that which they have will be taken from them. And you kind of read that as a real eyeball rattler to begin with. And you think, well, hold on. What, what, is, Jesus, what is Jesus saying here? Whoever has will be given more. Whoever has a heart to understand these parables, whoever has a heart to understand these things, God will give him more. God will give her more. But whoever says, oh, I don't worry about that sort of thing anymore, well, that sort of thing's not for me. I don't have to be out and out about that. It will be taken away, even that which they have. You see, you can lose your heart for God or you can feed your heart for God. That's that has or have more principle that Jesus talks about so often. He saw it in people and he, he sees it in other things as well. And so this, my friends, this 
idea of having a heart for God, this is what makes you effective in your Christian service. It's what makes your service for him effective. If you'd like to compare Saul and David in this, you'll see what I mean. We've only read up to verse 14, have we not? But in 1 Samuel uh, in 1 Samuel 16, but we see something here in verse 14 that is looming as a sign of what is to come for young Saul. Because it says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit comes in and begins to torment him. The beginning of sorrows right there. Uh, what is this evil spirit of the Lord? Well, if we have a couple of hours after the service, we can maybe talk a bit further about that. But if we look at Paul's biography, his, Saul's biography, his story, if we trace it through the Bible, uh, we'll see that he, his life goes from uh, bad to worse um, to the, an ultimate failure. His, it was a spiritual, emotional, and physical collapse at Mount Gilboa towards the end of his days. Where does it begin? Well, again, it began with that spiritual disobedience and it began with him losing his heart for God. Uh, but what if we read about David? Because we don't want to just end on uh, a negative note. We want to explore the possibilities that are positive. So let's go back and look, I guess, at our hero. Let's look at David. Well, David, what does he do? He goes on from strength to strength to strength. What's in chapter 17, just after our 16th chapter? Some of our Bible scholars might know. Well, David takes on uh, Goliath. Here's this young lad taking on this, this giant of a man, this tall timber. You know, he was built when stake was on discount at IGA. And next thing you know, uh, David, with this, his heart for God, knew in his heart that his God was bigger. And he defeats Goliath. And so David goes on to victory after victory, navigating through all sorts of problems until he ends up as the king of Israel. And what more do we know? When they wanted to say, when they wanted to say about the Messiah Jesus, they called him uh, the son of David. You go to Israel today or go to a, the opening ceremony at the Olympics, you'll see the star of David on the flag uh, of Israel there. And so David then has, if you like, the pleasure and the privilege of being part, the, the father of this line of people that ends up in the, the Messiah, the king, uh, called the son of David and the greater David, who we know as Jesus. Saul goes from weakness to complete tragedy, but David, he goes from strength to strength. And again, what's our difference? What's the beginning? Where does all of this spring from? One had a heart for God and the other lost his heart for God. And that's really what I want to say to you tonight is to look out for your heart for God. And look, just as a caveat or as an asterisk on the life of David, I will say, you know, things didn't always go swimmingly for David. There were some periods in his life where he did some pretty stupid things. He did some things that were disobedient and earned um, God's displeasure. But the thing about David's heart is it was sort of, when he was confronted about the things he was doing wrong, 
Uh, he didn't talk back to God. He didn't have an unrepentant or a stiff, a stiff heart, but he had a soft heart. He didn't blame shift or stand his ground. He was able to um, seek forgiveness and turn his life around. And that's also what it means to have a heart for God. As you're confronted about things maybe you're doing which aren't really in line with Jesus' standards, uh, you don't fight against that, but you try and listen and learn and chart a different course. That's about all I wanted to say uh, tonight, church. Would you keep cultivating and developing, growing, keep putting a premium on this, on your heart, a heart for God. Keep coming to church. A heart for God means you, uh, you come here to Oikos, you come early and you invite friends. A heart for God means you become a signpost that points other people towards the only one who can save the son of David, Jesus. I pray the Lord will uh, bless you. I pray he will keep you. If there's anything I've said tonight that kind of stands out a little bit for you, that might be, that could well be God. And so I want you to pay attention to that thing. It might just be one thing, but I want you to pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. Let me pray for us, and then we'll have some more songs. Uh, Jesus, I, uh, we come before you. We think of uh, your words in Ezekiel, which talks about the future where you will give us not so much a heart of stone, but a heart, uh, a soft heart, a, a heart of flesh, and you will pour out your spirit on us. And so as we live in the new covenant, we know that we have uh, yeah, access to you at all times. Your desire is that we would love you with all our heart, all our soul, our strength, and our mind. If there's uh, anyone here tonight who doesn't know the Savior, Lord, I pray that, uh, yeah, you would soften their heart toward, toward Christ, towards his words. I pray they might saturate themselves with uh, things, things of God, things in the Bible, and learn that uh, Jesus, ultimately, what he wants still today uh, is, is our heart, a humble, willing, uh, servant heart that says, uh, says no to the world and no to the broad gate that leads to destruction, but says yes to, uh, to following him and having a heart that um, doesn't care about conformity or, or popularity, but just cares about yeah, playing for an audience of one and um, cultivating a, a dynamic, fresh, current love uh, for Jesus. We pray this thing, we pray this in your name. Amen.